Finding Purpose, The Song of My Life, New Era, Episode 59, Work Like Paul and Be Content. Welcome back, everyone. Fortunately, we always had some good news that went beyond the personal struggles in the farmhouse. The men's experiences gave more insight into what their goals were. They were getting down to business, setting up a workshop for making leatherwares. They had cleaned out the piles of old things from the house that had been stashed in the empty stalls. Peter unpacked his tools and set about teaching Thomas, Alan, and Lauren the work. Here in a newsletter for the folks back in Eureka, Peter and Gregor gave their report. They took off hitchhiking for a few days to Rome and wanted to use that time to communicate their first-hand impressions of Europe. Here's what Gregor wrote. Everything is well with us. We did go through some difficult periods in terms of our physical situation, and spiritually it was difficult too. But it was a time of establishing, and that has taken place, and we want you to rejoice with us that the work in Europe is on its way. The hardest thing to do when you are in a country where you can't speak the language is to preach the gospel. But even so, we have begun to do that. There's already a real spirit of evangelism in the brothers that were here. And we've all been entering into that at the markets as best as we can. It is a very informal kind of situation, and the openings to minister are just incredible. Outreach is on our hearts, and we're doing it. We are just beginning to get some impressions of the other countries in Europe. We are seeing that all the cities are harvest fields waiting to be reaped. We have visited Amsterdam quite often on business to purchase leather and tools. It's a rough city. Our Volkswagen bus was broken into twice on one trip, which caused us to arrive back home in the middle of the night. Our families were worried about what had happened to us. We also pick up hitchhikers along the way and always have good talks. Usually the young people can speak English. The prostitution, the pornography, the funkiness in some of these places, you don't have to worry about looking for it in the U.S. because you won't find it. Even if you go to the funkiest place in Hollywood or Venice Beach or San Francisco, certain things are similar in Amsterdam, but it's beyond anything you could imagine. It's wicked. It's just completely given over to Satan. That's what this continent is like. And yet, with all the wickedness, there is an openness to the gospel in the people we have talked to. They are burnt out on some of these trips. And Peter wrote, After going through all the changes with bad food, bad living conditions, and everything from no hot water, no heat, no nothing, and it was in the dead of winter, now everything is under control. We even put in a shower with a water boiler. We are taking advantage of the leather business we have here, going into the different markets in Hamburg, Bremen, Hanover, Neustadt, and new cities are open to us all the time. The shop produces much more than it ever did back in California. Gregor and I felt it was time we got on the road to check out the rest of Europe. So we left Germany on Sunday and went due south all the way down to Tübingen and spent the night there. Then we got the next ride that took us all the way to Zurich. The next day we got to a little town south of Milan, and which is the biggest industrial town in Italy. And today we're here in Rome. 
We believe it's time that you start preparing the team to come over here. We need the brethren. It's time. We are anxiously awaiting news concerning the forming of more teams. Thomas also wrote some of his experiences. We made a decision a long time ago to deny ourselves and be broken as bread for a lost world. And here we are now in Germany, a very different environment, a very different culture. God is teaching us to love the people. Their hearts are bound up in a different way than ours because of the suffering that came from the two world wars. God is producing in us meekness and lowliness of heart so we can effectively serve this people. In the cities here, you see out front sexual advertisements, drugs are readily available, and there's a lot of communist-oriented political activity. The spirit of fear expresses itself on sober, grave faces that rarely smile. To greet someone cordially is a strange thing. Gregor and I went into East Berlin one time, and we walked around for a few hours. To us, it was just like walking into a city where the war had stopped the day before. There were houses with bullet holes and lots of bomb ruins. The people look like they are in bondage to a wicked spirit of control. There were many police and army officers patrolling the streets. And in the midst of all this, the Lord led us to an older woman crying out for love and attention. For a long time, right on the street, we shared with her. She received us almost like angels. So unusual was it there for her to receive love and comfort. Pray for the laborers for the harvest. And Thomas described the area where we lived in Nienberg saying, it is a very common thing here to see military units that pass by in full armor and camouflage with tanks and low-flying fighter jets overhead. So the end-time vision, and especially our going behind the Iron Curtain, is very real to us. When a war breaks out or the communists come, we know we will be here in the middle of it to share Jesus Christ. When Thomas and Gregor traveled, they went first to West Berlin to visit his mother and his family. I honestly do not know if Thomas had ever been to East Berlin before. His father had worked in the theater called Friedrichstadtspalast in that city when he was younger. There was only one strictly controlled train that took passengers from the west side to the east. Many people had tried to escape the east by using that train. That's the train that Thomas and Gregor had to go on, and their passports would have been checked before departure. Thomas, being with Americans, was giving him a new outlook on the reality of living in a country that was divided by a wall. As a teenager, like so many other youth, he grew up disillusioned by the materialistic culture of West Berlin. But now, as a Christian, he saw everything with different eyes. And his growing perspectives about life in Germany was also different than that of Peter and Gregor's. They had come for the purpose of establishing a ministry, but for Thomas it was more than that. It was personal and it was long range. He, as a German, was thinking, this is my country and this is where we will be making a home for our children. With that in mind, he could have been tempted by his mother's offer to come and live with them in West Berlin, but he had a deep conviction that we belonged with the team we came with. He trusted Peter and Gregor's example of leadership, knowing that the goals that faced us were a huge challenge. 
As far as our daily life in Nienberg, Thomas was learning to juggle many new responsibilities. Besides making leatherwares, going to the flea markets on the weekends, and helping do the books for the leather business, he was giving us German classes. Added to that, he went with some of us to the doctor offices and the city visa offices to do the translating. In between all of that, he had made it a priority to build a hallway section in the corner of our bedroom. Finally, we had a door and some privacy. But for all the men, the main priority was working in the leather shop and going to the flea markets to sell their wares. The goal was to be able to support our families so that we wouldn't be dependent on donations from Eureka. Jim had taught us ex-hippies to work and follow the example of the Apostle Paul who was a tent maker. For us women, life wasn't so interesting because we spent most of our time in the farmhouse. As Americans, we didn't get much of a chance to share our faith either. When we were in town shopping, our conversations were limited because of our small German vocabulary. And even for me, though I had lived in Germany, I had never heard people talking about God and the Bible. For Lori and Elgrita, who we started calling Ellie for short, everything wasn't such a big deal, mainly because they spoke fluent German and had lived in the area and knew other Christians. Our usual days consisted of keeping the children busy, shopping, and managing to cook for 15 to 20 people in the tiny kitchen. It helped that we had made a schedule to take turns with the laundry, but we were all under pressure to keep up with the washing of our baby's diapers. Sometimes tension would build up between the mothers and disagreements about each other's children. I remember it being very difficult for Jackie and Linda because they had boys that tended to get into little fights. More than once, Lori and I would hear the mothers arguing loudly in the hallway. Sometimes we would have to walk by them on our way to the laundry room, so it was impossible to ignore their outbursts. One day, I started entertaining the idea of wanting to escape the boiling pot we were living in. It was hard for me to understand how two Christian women could go so far as yelling at each other. I was thinking, aren't there scriptures about living in peace and harmony with the brethren? Since I was getting close to the end of my pregnancy, I had made it a habit to take a nap while Naomi was sleeping. While I was laying on the bed, I looked up at a picture that I had found in the stalls. It was an old Lutheran confirmation certificate with a print of a painting of Jesus sitting on Peter's boat. It depicted the story where he was speaking to the people on the shore. The scene reminded me of how the disciples followed Jesus and were learning from his words and his example. And then I thought of a time when Jesus spoke directly to the young man, Peter. I had to look in the concordance of my King James Bible to find the verse. Under the word eternal, I found what I was looking for. It's in John chapter 6, so I read the whole chapter to try to understand the circumstances. This is what I found. Jesus had been speaking of many things that the people didn't like to hear, and they were murmuring. He had told them repeatedly that he is the living bread, which has come down from heaven. And he told them that the words he speaks are spirit and they are life. It was like he was speaking right then to me. And I knew without a doubt, yes, Lord, your words here in my Bible 
are alive and they give me life today. Then Jesus said, but there are some of you that believe not, and he knew that they would betray him. After that, many people who had been following him turned back and walked no more with him. Then in verse 67, he said to the 12 disciples, will you also go away? And then Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the word of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. When I read that, I got a glimpse of how much Jesus loved the people. He was pained because they rejected his words and turned away. They chose to go their own way. That was the answer to my question. Is there a way out of our situation? Then I remembered the story when Moses told the people as they traveled through the desert, your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. He has heard your complaints. So I asked the Lord to forgive me for my own bad attitude and that I would learn to be content in everything. In the evening, after Naomi was asleep, I told Thomas about what I had experienced that day. He said he was so sorry about everything I was going through, especially being in the last weeks before the birth. He realized that we had gotten out of the routine we had practiced at Living Waters. He had been so busy with work and the fact that we didn't have much privacy, he had lost sight of our need to be seeking God together. He said, we can't forget all the times that God spoke to us and how he helped us in so many situations at the ranch. So he got out his Bible and said, let's read Philippians chapter four. Here are Paul's instructions to the Christians, which we've read before. In verse four, he writes, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And verse 9, he says, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and then the God of peace will be with you. In verse 11, Paul writes, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. He continues saying, because I do all things through him who strengthens me. So we went to sleep that night, content and filled with the peace of God, knowing that he would give us his strength for whatever would come our way. In closing today, this might sound funny, but all I can think of is to suggest that you read Paul's letter to the Philippian church yourself. I can guarantee that you will find something inspiring or intriguing in it. It only takes a few minutes to read. If you don't have a Bible, that's not a problem. You can find the letter in the internet and in many different languages. So stay tuned for next week's story about our home birth at the farmhouse. Take care and bye for now.